morning, brothers. Thanks for coming this morning. Rousting yourself out of bed at this early hour. Ten. Uh, Dave and I are going to be teaching today about glorifying God as a dad. And uh, I want to say just a couple things about Dave. A lot of you don't know him. He just he and his wife just moved here from Reno, Nevada, uh, where they, with three other couples, led the church as non-paid staff. They're just leadership couples. This is really loud. I know how to... I mean, I can just yell, right? You guys can hear me if we don't even have this thing. Yeah. Brian asked us if we wanted AV, and Dave and I decided we're just reading holler, guys. We don't really need AV. So, anyway, uh, Dave and Mary just moved down here from Reno, and uh, they've got four kids. Interesting story. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about his his family. But uh, super grateful to have him here in the in the uh, South Bay group, and uh, become great friends of Karina and I. Um, of course, if you don't know, Karina and I have been in the West and the Coastal and the South Bay and all the things we've been called for probably 15 years or so, and I uh, love it here, and love being here, and love coming to this retreat, because it's just such a great time to reconnect with people we don't get to see all that often. Uh, we're excited to talk today about parenting, about glorifying God as a dad, and uh, it's just a subject, as many of you know, that's near and dear to me, and uh, I, I think it should be to you too, and that's my point today, is to try and convince you of that. Um, we want to talk today, we're going to address uh, your character as dads, and then your engagement and involvement with your kids, okay? We're going to read from uh, the book of Eli today, or actually what didn't get called the book of Eli, um, because Eli wasn't really a very stark character in this book. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2, please. And let me just warn you, I'm starting at, like, the bottom, okay? This is maybe the most discouraging scripture you'll read all weekend, maybe all year, okay? This is just, and then, you know, Dave's going to pull us out, uh, so I'm the bad cop and he's the good cop, bad teacher, good teacher, whatever. First Samuel 2, and we're going to read verse, uh, starting verse 30. You know, my, the text in my Bible keeps getting smaller. I'm going to have to get one of those. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. This time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. I don't know of any more scathing rebuke from God to a man uh, in the scriptures. Uh, that sobers me. I, in fact, I even thought, 
it's a retreat. Should I even read this passage? <laughs> you know, really, I mean, it's just like, wow, that's heavy. But, you know, what, you got to ask yourself, what would cause God to be so outraged by his man, Eli? What, what, what would it be? What, did he lead the people astray and drink, you know, worship a golden cat? No, that was somebody else. Did he totally despise the temple? No, kind of, but not really. That's not what he's called out for. What does he get called out for? You know, right? You've read the book before, right? He gets called out for being a crummy dad. And God nails him for it. Not just a little rebuke, but you're done. It's over. I'll let you live, but you're not going to live well. And your descendants aren't going to live well. In fact, it says in other places, they will all die in the prime of life. What a sobering thing to be said to any of us, right? I mean, you're just like, whoa, God, let up, man. Give me some hope here. And yet it's important to figure out, how did he get there? How did he go? Why did he go there? 1 Samuel 2 and verse 27 says a little bit more. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says, that I uh, did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh. I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the uh, I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by the people of Israel? You know, this this man that comes to Eli and says, Look, you were given all this rich spiritual heritage. You were given every opportunity to find me, to honor to me, to glorify me as a priest in my house. And yet... In the text, we, we learn, and we'll, learn, we'll read uh, in a few minutes, that uh, you know, the sons totally despised uh, God's offerings and abused their roles as priests before God's people. And Eli didn't stop it. And that's what God really goes after him for. And you know, we've got to have a conviction as dads that it's our role to restrain our kids, to train our kids, to inspire our kids, and to make sure they do the right thing. And we've got to take that seriously. And I guess the point that that Dave and I really want to make more than anything is a kind of a memory for the year is you've got no greater role in the kingdom than to be a dad to your children. I mean, you might be in the ministry, you might be leading a group, you might be a mission team member, you might be starting a new Bible talk in some part of town that we're not yet in, and those are all great things, and I encourage you and inspire you to chase those things. But there's nothing greater than being a dad. We've seen that take down way too many guys, and we see here that it's very important to God that we don't neglect this very, very important uh, ministry. So, why did he fail? Why did Eli fail? We know a little bit because of the behavior of his kids. We know a little bit by this rebuke that he failed to honor God in all the ways that were appropriate. This first point we, we want to talk about is just a failure of character. Eli had a failure of character. He was out of touch with God's spirit in his life. He failed to grow. He had stopped pursuing God. Chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to skip around here. You guys have probably read this story before. It may have been a while, but 
You probably read this story of Eli. Look at verse 3. Year after year of chapter 1. Year after year, he's not, now, I'll, I'll, just let me jump in. Uh, Elkanah is this man who has a wife named Hannah. Uh, Elkanah has two wives, actually. Hannah is childless. The other wife has a number of kids. Hannah's desperate for a child. I know the story of Hannah. She prays. God eventually gives her a son. But Elkanah's her husband. Uh, and they come up every year uh, to worship God. Uh, verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas were priests, the two sons of Eli. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. You know, that's an interesting phrase because... Eli is still alive, right? He's still around. He's still uh, part of the ministry. And yet the text records that it's not Eli the priest that's serving. It's his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that are serving as priests. Eli had kind of retired, quote-unquote, from his ministry duties. And, you know, I sense that temptation. As two of my kids are out of the house and I've got just one more, I, I keep thinking I'm getting to this point where I'm going to retire from being a parent. And I'm going to just go, hey, it's done. Over. On to the next thing. And yet, I think as parents, you know, you talk to people who are older than, than we are, and they say, you know what, you never stop being a parent. You're always a parent. And so, if you're not, if you're looking forward to retirement as parent, you look forward to it at your own peril. Because you don't get a chance to retire. And it's actually good, which means you still get to be influential in your kids' lives. You still get to help them. Um, but he had retired. Look down in verse 9. We're going to pick out a few verses just out of, for sake of time here. Um, so it talks about how they'd come up every year and how Hannah, uh, her rival, this other wife, had had all these kids and she was desperate. And uh, so in verse 9, they, they were up at the feast. Uh, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. We'll get into her prayer in a minute. But it's just interesting that the scripture notes that Eli's got a chair by the door. Do you have a chair at church? Is it your job, is your role at church in your mind to just fill a chair? I mean, Eli just had a chair. That was his, what, what does Eli do? Oh, he sits in that chair over there by the doorpost. You know, it's funny, in the old, some of the older congregations you go to, um, there's pews with people's names on them. It's like, that's their role in church, to fill that chair. This is what, this is, this is my spot in the church. I fill that seat right there. And I don't know if we're in that mindset, but sometimes we get in a mindset like, my job is just little. I just sit in the chair. I just show up. And here Eli was, with all this great heritage and this role as a priest and certainly all the training he'd received as a priest, and he just, his job was to sit in the chair. Brothers, let me encourage you not to just sit in the chair at church. Let me encourage you to, do, to be more active than that, to have a greater vision for your role in the church than just to fill a chair at church. The most condemning thing in my mind about Eli here is in verse 12. Uh, where did we stop? We stopped in 9. Let me read 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, will I, uh, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no rage will ever be used. So this great emotional outpouring. As she kept on praying to the Lord, in verse 12, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. 
And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Of course, she wasn't drunk. She was praying. You know, sometimes, brothers, we get a little bit out of touch with God's spirit at work in people, don't we? We misread situations. We misunderstand. And where does that come from? Sometimes we see spiritual things happening around us, but we don't recognize them for what they are. And to me, this is super condemning to, to, to Eli. Because here he was a priest. What was his job? It was to help people get connected to God. It was to help people find God. It was to reconcile people to God. And here this woman was doing that very thing, and all he could think in his cynicism was, she's just drunk. Have we become cynical? Are we looking for... Sometimes we hear the teens get up and share, and we just go, oh yeah, they're just teens. Have we become cynical? Are we missing God's spirit at work here? This is God's plan to raise up Samuel, who would be the last judge and the great, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. This was God's plan, and Eli missed it because his job was sitting in a chair. Brothers, we've got to have this conviction to be in step with God's spirit, to see God working around us. Um, he'd become cynical. And that's one thing, men, that we can really be challenged with. It's just getting cynical. We deal with the, the nitty-gritty of life, right? We pay the bills, we've got to fix the car, we've got to deal with work, we've got to walk this fine line between righteous Christian light on a hill and getting along with our knucklehead co-workers who aren't. And, and we get cynical, we get worn down, we start to see the bad side of people and believe that's what really it's all about. And we can miss God's spirit at work. Especially if we're not in the scriptures every day, praying every day, and wanting to be close to God and really seeking Him. We can get cynical. And this is how Eli got. I mean, he's, and his, and he dies at 98. And he, I don't know how many years he'd lived with this cynicism. Even though he was in this post as a priest, even though he proclaimed to be on the right side with God, in a right relationship with God the Father, he, he had just become cynical, sitting in a chair, even mocking or misreading people who are trying to do the right thing in the relationship with God. To me, this is such a sad, sad, sorry state. And, you know, what we want to do today is talk about how did he get this way? And let's not get there ourselves, right? We've got to watch. We've got to not be, let ourselves get cynical. We've got to not let ourselves quit believing and being too practical and being too about just getting from A to B instead of really realizing our lives that, you know, we're first and foremost spiritual people, that our families were given to us by God, not to just raise and get good jobs and go to college and all that, but to, to really pass on our spiritual convictions to the next, next generation, to be the force that impacts our world. Is that how you're raising your kids? That these are tomorrow's missionaries. These are tomorrow's church leaders. This is the kingdom that will take us into the future, these kids. Or do we get cynical? And they go, oh, God, just please help me to get through this day. I can't wait till they move out. You know, I mean, we've got we to gotta really watch here and that we don't get let ourselves go. You know, by contrast, there's Hannah and Elkanah, right? Year after year, they come up to worship and to sacrifice. Hannah, in her good-heartedness, prays to God for a child and says, you know what, I will give him to you. And literally, she does. He moves, she, the, the boy moves out of her house and goes to live with the priest. What a contrast. How hopeful the sense you get from her. You know, just like, I can't wait to give my child to God. I want to prepare him. I want to make him ready. Um, 
her, she had anguish in trial. She was barren. Right? She struggled. She didn't let the trials get her down, though. She kept going back to God. And God, uh, God honored her prayer. You know, it says in verse 18, chapter 1, we won't read it, but she, she went to God and she prayed, and then she just walked away and she wasn't troubled anymore. When she prayed, she really believed it. Um, is that how we pray? As if the Lord will do what we pray for. Tony preached about that in our sector a couple weeks ago. It's a great, great lesson. Just how important it is to pray as if God has already worked. You know, anything less of that leads us down that road where Eli gets to. Where he's cynical, where he's doubtful, where he doesn't believe anymore. Um, we're meant to be shepherds or pastors of our families. And the question of the morning is, are you out to pastor or have you put yourself out to pasture? You know, what, where are you? are you? Are you taking the rest of the day off in terms of being a dad? Important to rest and relax and go to retreats and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm t- saying, though, are we really serious about working on our own characters, letting people get into our lives and disciple us and train us so we don't end up as a door sitter missing God working around us and seeing our kids maybe going to be in the kingdom even but not really honoring God with their lives. Dave's going to come forward and give us some... Uh, bring us back up, I guess. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit. Uh, as Andy said, my wife and I just recently moved here from Reno, and we're really excited to be here in L.A. Reno had about 40 disciples, and so it's a bit of a change. Um, we have a just quick background of myself. I was actually, I've been in the church for a long time. I like to joke around. I was in Moses' Bible study, but not quite that long. Um, but I uh, was in San Diego for many years. used to live with Tony Kettering, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, But we have four kids, uh, youngest is 18, the oldest is 26, and we're a blended family. My first wife and I had two kids, and then she uh, passed away from cancer, and, and uh, my two boys were nine months old and two years old, and then a year or so, a couple years later, uh, Mary and I got married, and she had two kids that were a little older. Uh, they were nine, well, when we got married, they were nine and seven. So we have four between us, uh, so we're a blended family, so we have a lot of, uh, it's been, you know, great to uh, raise them all together. Uh, so we um, have a little experience with being uh, a blended family as well. Three of our kids are disciples, and then the young one we're still praying for, and, and uh, so you can be praying for him as well, he needs it. <laughs> but uh, but he's, he's down here with us, he goes to Oregon State, uh, he's got just finished one year. I uh, appreciate Andy just... Uh, you know, since he's, as everybody knows Andy, I'm the new guy. I don't want to be the hard guy coming in. So, you know, get, get the guy you know Andy to be the, bring the hard stuff. Uh, I'm supposed to be the, the lighter stuff. But, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, the seriousness that God holds to us being fathers. And uh, it really is uh, a very important role that we have. You know, uh, in, I'll just read real quick. Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. So I think you see, even in, in Eli's situation, that proverb coming true, the curse on the wicked. But the great thing, brothers, is we don't have to be like that. We can be, God will bless the righteous. God will bless us in our parenting, in our being a father, as we do what he wants us to do. You know, our, our first point was our character. You know, as I've been a parent over the years, one of the most important parts of really raising your kids is your personal character. You know, whether you like it or not, your kids are going to end up being a lot like you, good and bad. Uh, and sometimes that can be challenging, 
And, uh, you know, sometimes as your kids get older and you start to see your sinful nature in them, it can be discouraging. And I've seen that in my own kids. I, one, one of my sons in particular, you know, his, uh, you know, I, I saw when he was, you know, teenage age, just how into himself he would get. You know, when, when things happened, he would just, you know, stuff everything. It wouldn't talk. It was hard to talk. And I thought, you know, man, I can see how I'm like that. And it was really discouraging for me just to see that in him. I thought, man, it's all my fault. But, you know, you can feel like that. But the great thing is, is that as you work on your own character spiritually, you're able to help them. You know, and so, you know, I was able to uh, relate to how he was feeling, and I you know, was able to get in there some and help him because I knew what he was going through. So the, the kids being like you in your character, you know, works both ways. It can be, it's challenging because you see it, but you also, as you work on things in your own life, you can be able to help them uh, when you see what's going on because you know how they feel. You know, turn over to Titus chapter 2. I want to spend some time talking about uh, our character and some practicals that will really help us uh, to be better fathers. Titus chapter 2. I like this passage to apply it to being a parent. It says, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have, they have nothing to say about us. You know, this passage, I like to apply to being a parent, to being a father. Especially verse 7, it says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Picture that as, you know, as a father. I'm going to break that down a little bit. It says, in everything. You know, brothers, your kids are always watching you. Even when you don't think they're watching you, they're always watching you. And they are going to pick up on everything that you do. They're going to notice when you're moody, when you're in a good mood or bad mood. They're going to notice how you speak to your wife. They're going to notice how you are around people at church, and they're going to notice how you are around people at home. And if there's a difference there, they're going to know it. They're going to know what you. They're going to know what you watch on TV. They're going to know what you watch on your computer. They're going to know how you talk about the church and other disciples at home. They're going to know how you talk about the leadership of the church and different things like that. Basically, everything that you do, your kids are seeing in one way or another, and it's going to have an impact on them. And that's why it's so important for us to realize our character is huge. We've got to be great disciples in church, out of church, all the time. You know, just being a disciple all the time, because our kids are going to see everything, and it's going to impact them. Even if you think they're too young to really understand, trust me, they're going to know what kind of character you have. And it's going to impact them. You know, he says... In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Our kids need to see our faith in action. You, know, you need to be living out a disciple. I know it, it, you know, it's pretty basic, but it's really true. Uh, your kids need to see you living the Christian life all the time. Uh, sharing with people, reaching out to people, being friendly to people, serving to people, helping people, uh, putting the kingdom first. 
being into your Bible, reading, praying, all that kind of stuff, they need to see that that's part of your life. They need to see that's what my dad does. He reads the Bible. He prays. That's just something that always happens. You know, our kids, you know, they knew I always got up early in the morning and, and had my quiet time. They just, you know, they didn't necessarily have at that time. But they knew that that's what I did. You know, it's really important as your kids get older and in the teenage years uh, and they start studying the Bible, you know, they need to, when, you know, when they start getting challenged about really putting the kingdom first and all those kind of things, they need to be able to use you as an example of a good example. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and when you start talking to them about really, you know, you need to put the kingdom first and you need to, you know, do what your people are studying with, they're going to say, well, you know, if they don't see it in your life, it's going to be challenging for them. Our example is huge. It says, teaching, in your teaching, show integrity. I'm going to break down each one of these. You know, teaching is, just as our kids are around us all the time and see everything about us, but it also gives us plenty of opportunity to really teach them. Our kids need to be taught. We need to, we need to be involved as dads, teaching them the things that they really need to know for life. Um, they need to know how to fish, how to hike, all that kind of good stuff. We need to do that. Amen. But they also need to learn from us what's right and wrong. Uh, what's okay to do, what's okay to not to do. Uh, you know, the problem is, is that they learn a lot from their friends at school. They learn a lot from TV. They're learning a lot of bad things in the world, just by being in the world. They're learning all that. So we've got to be there to teach them the right way. So you know what, that's not the way... I, you know, I don't know what the TV said. That's not the way we treat people. That's not the way we treat women. That's not the way you treat your friends. You know what I'm saying? We've got to teach them what God calls us to. Uh, one of the things you can, you really, I encourage you to do is, if you have kids, is spend as much time as you can, but really make it a, a regular weekly time. You know, we had four kids. We weren't always successful, but we tried to, you know, have a time with each one of them individually as much as we could as much as we could, to spend time just with them. You know what I'm saying? Those are times where you can really teach them and, and talk about things and, and try to get that into a regular regular habit to really help teach them things that are going on. It says integrity. I'm having the same uh, words that Andrew's talking about, getting, getting fuller away. <laughs> you know, integrity. Uh, what this means to me... A lot of different things, but, you know, as fathers, we've got to be men of our word uh, with our kids. You know, when you make a promise to your children, you've got to make sure you do everything you can to fulfill it. Uh, we talk a lot with our kids about really building trust. Uh, we talk to them a lot about, uh, you know, we've got to be able to trust you, so, you know, especially as they get older, they're going to want to do more and more stuff, and so we talked a lot about, you know, you've got to prove trustworthy that, you know, you can go ahead and go over to your friend's house. We'll see how it goes. If that goes well, then maybe you can go a little bit longer. You know what I'm saying? You, and you kind of have that dialogue where you really build trust. But we've got to model that for them. We've got to model for our kids that when we tell them something, we follow through. Uh, a lot of relations, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of fathers, especially, you know, different situations where, you know, they, they say we're going to do this and do that, and they don't really follow through. The kids really, that really impacts them. We've got to have the integrity that, you know, when we say something, we're going to make sure it happens. Um, practice what you preach. You know, 
kids are really, really good at snipping out hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, they know when you don't do something that you say you're going to do, or when you tell them a certain thing and you're not living it, the kids are going to be all over that. So we've got to really uh, practice what we preach. And the other thing we've got to do is really model honesty for them. I think, again, being honest is so important. Again, our world is so deceitful, you know. Our kids are around that all the time, where, uh, you know, in school and TV and all that kind of stuff, you know, deceitfulness is just a way of life. It's just normal. People are always, you know, shading the truth to get what they want. You know, we've got to teach our kids, especially as fathers, you've got to be honest. You've got to tell the truth, even if it hurts. Um, they need to be taught that. And we need to reinforce that. You know, one of the things you really need to discipline is lying and being deceitful. Because if your kids get into that pattern, it's going to be really hard to break. You've got to, you've got to just teach them. You know, I don't care what you did. As long as you're honest about it, you repent and move on. But don't lie to me. And when you find situations where they are that way, you've got to really, don't let those go. You've got to really go after that hard to really get them to be honest with you. It says seriousness is the next word. You know, what I think of here is, is uh, respect. You know, we've got to really teach our kids, especially as fathers, how important respect is. Respect for authority, uh, respect for women, uh, respect for God. You know, our, again, I, I keep thinking about our society. We're, we're raising our kids in a really challenging society in a lot of ways. There's no respect for authority. You know, there's no respect for, you know, other people. It's all about yourselves. You know, we've got to teach our kids, you've got to respect authority. You've got to respect me as a father. You've got to respect your mother. You know, and if, and if your kids are talking disrespectful to your mother, you've got to address that. You say, hey, you don't talk to your mom that way. You know, uh, you've got to go after that. If you don't, what's going to happen is that, as again, as they get older and start thinking about the Bible, they're not going to have respect for God if they don't respect you. You know, they've got to have a respect for authority. You know, we, when they're in sports, when they're in teachers, you've got to teach them, you've got to respect your teachers. Well, I don't lie. They're mean, whatever. I say, I don't care what, we, you know, we've been talking to them. I don't care what, if you like a teacher or not, that's not the issue. You need to respect them because they're your teacher. We've had, you know, times where they got in trouble, and so we'd take them back and say, you need to go apologize to your teacher. You know, you need to go say, I'm sorry for talking in class or whatever it was. Uh, we've got to teach that. Coaches, same sort of thing. You know, I don't, I don't like my coach, whatever. I don't care. You respect your coach. You're teaching and respect for authority. It doesn't happen in our world today. It's got to happen here in the church. We've got to teach our kids to respect authority. And especially women. We've got to teach and respect women. You know, there's a lot of challenges with, with uh, things like that. You know, we've got, to re- we've got to teach our boys especially that you respect your mother, you respect women. You've got to teach them how to treat them the right way. Uh, those types of things. Uh, you know, you, and again, we have to model that for them. We've got to let them see that we really treat our wife or the woman in our life with a lot of respect in how we talk to them. You know, the next thing he says here is soundness of speech. And uh, our example is... is Obviously, super important, but you know our speech is right up there. What we say is very, very important. Um, you got to ask yourself: How do you talk to your kids? Do you talk to them respectfully? Do you treat them respectfully when they're younger? Do you treat them respectfully when you talk to them? How about when you're angry? Do you yell at them? Do you belittle them when you're angry? 
All these things you got to think about. How am I talking? How am I communicating with my kids? Uh, do you spend more time correcting them or do you spend more time building them up and praising them? Or do you talk to them at all? <laughs> you know, you may have grown up. My dad wasn't really a talker with me very much. I used to joke around that, you know, Mary would say, you need, you need to talk to the boys about sex. I'd go, well, since my dad talks to me, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> we didn't talk that much. So I, had, I didn't really have a great example in that way, but I had to learn, and I'm still learning, how to talk. You know, you just got to talk with your kids a lot, you know, talk to them about different things. They really need that. They really need you to draw them out and things like that. And what you really want to do is, you know, a lot of what you have to do is, you know, you've got to correct them for sure, but you've got to really praise things. You've got to be specific. You know, when they do something that's really good, you know, don't just say, hey, that's a good job, but say why it's a good job. Say, hey, you know, I know you've been really, you know, working on, you know, catching the football, and that was a great catch. You really used your hand, you brought it in, or whatever it is, you know. Uh, the more specific, they're going to feel like, wow, that's really cool. My dad really notices that. Uh, what we say is super important, and especially when they need to be disciplined and when they make you angry or when they, you know, whatever they're going to do, uh, you know, you've got to really rein in maybe your first response because you've got to realize, you know, as a father, you have a they have a tremendous respect for you just innately. And the words that you say to them, somebody, I could, you know, somebody else could say something that won't, won't hit them near as hard as if you said it because you're their dad. So when you do get angry, you've got to make sure that you speak to them still uh, in a respectful, calm, helpful, not a hurtful way. You know, don't vent your anger. It's just it's so harmful for kids if we don't really work on that and do that. Uh, and the last thing it says, um, it says, um, I'm sorry, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Kind of my point on this, I was thinking, is again, it goes back to our example. You know, our kids are going to oppose us because, you know, they're going to want to do things that we don't want them to do. You know, we're going to have to work through it and things like that. But the more spiritual example you are, it's going to be easier for them to really, for you to really have an impact on them. Uh, your kid, kids are naturally manipulative. They're going to try to play you against your mother and all that kind of stuff. Or they're going to try to make you feel guilty. Well, you didn't do this, or you didn't do that, or how come you didn't do that? You know what I'm saying? The more that we have the strong, godly character when they oppose us, we're going to be able to really say, hey, you know what, that's not how we do it here. You don't see me doing this. You don't see me, you know, lying. You don't see me treating your mother that way. You know what I'm saying? They're going to see our character. We've got to have our character's got to be strong, so that's going to really help us when we get in those conflicts with our children. They're, going to, they're not going to be able to come put it back on us. I'm going to let Andy uh, come back up and talk a little bit more, and then I'll close this out. Thanks, Dick. How are you guys doing? It's getting pretty quiet in here. Everybody need to laugh about something? Everybody got a joke? Uh -oh. <laughs> All right, we'll do jokes at the end. I appreciate your conviction. You know, I think you, I think you appreciate this. It's a serious topic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a great topic. It's a fun topic, right? Being, there's nothing more fulfilling in my life than being a dad. I mean, I just I love it. I'm so excited that I got three kids that still want to talk to me, and, you know, two out of the house, you hear... My peers, you know, how do you get your teenagers to talk to you? You know, it's like, oh, I love that. You know, I love, I'm at work. I'm the, I'm the teenager guru just because my kids talk to me still. You know, they think I'm really, really smart. Um, you know, and it's just because I've been blessed with being, have, being able to raise them as a Christian and having the support of the body. Um, so 
Appreciate Dave's uh, kind of practicals. There are things that we can do in our own characters, things to watch out for. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how we can avoid going uh, where Eli went. Um, Eli was uh, out of touch with, um, in his own character. He didn't see himself sliding. He got to this hardened spot where he just wasn't doing anything. But he also had lost touch with the glory of God. Uh, he just failed to honor God. To him, the ministry was a job. His priesthood was a job. He didn't see the glory of it. He'd lost that. Now, it could be argued the whole nation of Israel had, had lost it as well, but um, it was on the cusp of this great new prophet Samuel coming, and thereafter the kingdom of David, and some great things. But uh, he had lost vision of the glory of God's kingdom. And that's something we've got to watch in ourselves, right? We've got we to go, wow, this is really still God's kingdom. We, we may not be setting the world on fire as we, we were at some point, but you know what? We're building stronger. We're building for the long haul. We're building in places we hadn't even touched before and really being able to reach out and build strong families and build a net strong next generation from within. Uh, it's a great time to be in the kingdom, and we can't lose sight of that. It really is exciting. Um, in chapter 2 and verse 12, another crazy statement. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. I would hate it if anybody characterized my kids that way. Wouldn't that just break your heart? It's like, ah. Oh. You know, Eli, again, he's, he's a priest. And it was a, a generational Levitical priesthood. So he was, his job was, he knew as soon as his boys were born, they will be priests too. And his job was to prepare them for that priesthood, to prepare them to take the kingdom to the next generation. And yet he had raised them in a way that they had no regard for the Lord at all. Um, we won't read it due to time, but it goes on to say that, that their wickedness came out especially as people came to worship and to make offerings, sin offerings, to God. In fact, they, they took advantage of the atoning sacrifices that were for the people of Israel. Can you just think of a more damaging, <laughs> devastating way to treat people? Um, now, they had a right as, as Levites to take a portion of the sacrifice to support themselves. But instead of taking it the way the Bible prescribed, they said, no, we don't want to wait for the meat to get boiled the way it's supposed to be done. We want it raw. We want a barbecue. So give it to us the way we want it. It says that they took advantage of the women that ministered at the temple and had sex with them. Um, wow. Think about what word comes to mind when you think of kids in the kingdom who just take advantage of the benefits of the kingdom. And we call that entitlement, right? And if you're a parent and you have a teenager who's been raised in the kingdom or a college student and you don't see them doing well, um, you know, one of the first things you start thinking about is, are they acting entitled? What is entitlement? What is that what is that view? We see it, you know, we always think of all those rich kids who are entitled. You know, they just think they deserve all this stuff. Well, our kids in the kingdom can be that way as well. You know, they think they deserve mercy from God. They think they deserve to be part of this great family. You know, they think they deserve it. That can be, we've got to be careful. We've got to teach them, no, you're, you're a sinner. You've got to come into the kingdom brand new, just like everybody else does. You know, no, God is watching you. He will judge you by the words you say, just like everybody else does, gets. You know, we've got to teach our kids not to be uh, entitled. Uh, what's another word that comes to mind? Uh, gratitude. You know, Hoffman and Phineas. No, we don't want to take it the way the Lord gives it to us. We want to take it the way we want to take it. You know, 
how ungrateful that is. Um, that's still the, 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 the number one thing I just really camp on with my kids is just being gracious and having a spirit of gratitude. You know, just even in the car yesterday, we're driving out, and Karina says to uh, one of our kids, hey, I washed your car, did you notice? Oh, yeah, it was really clean, I really like having it clean, and um, appreciate it, because it was kind of, uh, they didn't say they appreciate it. it, it gives me an example of how I should clean my car, I mean, they're just on and on about how great it was to have a clean car, but they never said, thank you, Mom, for cleaning my car, and so we went for a while, and I'm like, okay, try again, and so, well... Um, I really like my car clean. You know, they went through it again. I'm like, how about thank you? And they're just like, oh, right. Thanks, Mom, for cleaning my car. You know? And it's just, that's so important. We think it's a minor thing. We still teach please and thank you at our house. You know, you just, you got to teach kids to be, to have gratitude, to be grateful for what they've got. Um, you know, great topic for a family devotional. What have we got that your friends don't have? What do we really have that's great that your friends may not have? Uh, teaching your kids to be grateful. You know, Eli did finally correct his boys, right? It's After they were grown, after they'd been, you know, he, he kind of winked at it when they were small, maybe. He kind of said, oh, that's cute. I, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll teach them that stuff. But by the time they're grown, they're full-blown, defiant, and uh, uh, despising God's, uh, you know, really an abomination to God. Yeah. And, and they just kind of let it fester from when they were small. He let them get away with it. And then by the time they're older... It becomes this thing that he can't even deal with. He tries to deal with it finally. He says, boys, don't do that stuff. You know, but it was weak, and it was late, and it was ineffective. Um, his boys had become irreverent. Something else to watch for in our teens, in our, in our older kids, our kids who have become Christians, who are learning how to be Christians as teens, as college students. They can be irreverent. They can think, oh, yeah, I can go to R-rated movies. I don't have to watch myself because I'm a kingdom kid, you know. They can think, oh, we can kind of get on the edge. We can do the worldly stuff because we're grounded in good families. I mean, this is how they justify a lot of what they do. Things that as a college student, I was trained, no, you don't do that stuff. you got to walk away from that stuff. They can, they can get irreverent in some ways. They get familiar with the leaders, maybe. They get familiar with... They see their parents, maybe, who are leaders, who struggle, and they know that, you know, kind of as young Christians, we always admire our leaders, and we look up to them almost with reverence, because they've done so many great things for God. And, and yet our kids maybe know the inside story. Well, their family struggled, and they came through, and so our kids can get irreverent towards the kingdom itself. And we've got to watch out for that, and we've got to teach against that. Again, you contrast uh, Hannah and Elkanah, her husband, and how they committed their son to be raised to the Lord. It says in the, in the text that they, come, they came up every year, the mom especially came up every year to kind of check on the boy and bring him a new robe and kind of make sure he was on the right track. And, um, you know, she writes this prayer or this song or poem, you know, that's just phenomenal about how great God is and how awesome God's powers will be and how they'll be victorious over their enemies. Just... Even, guys, do we as fathers communicate to our kids how awesome we think God is? I mean, when's the last time you said, guys, I just want to... I mean, Brian Craig does this all the time. Hey, I just wrote a song about God. I don't have that gift, so I've got to come up with another way to say it, you know? But we've got to talk about how good God is, how awesome God is with our kids. I struggle with being, you know, verbose. Um, you may not think so after this class, but I struggle with that at home, that I don't talk a lot. You know, I kind of, I'm there, I'm steady Eddie, but I don't, 
I'm not effusive. That's my word of the year. Effusive. I gotta be effusive. So, you know, but that that's an important thing for our kids to see us talking about God all the time in a great way, not just complaining about church was long or so and so went late or or you were out late with the team, you know, but really being effusive about how awesome God is. The last thing I want to say is that Eli had a chance to change. Eli had a chance to change. We know that God brings repentance. God made a promise to Eli that he'd always have men on the throne. God said, not anymore. I'm changing that promise. Well, if Eli would have changed, I bet God would have come back and said, hey, I appreciate your repentance. You're back in. But he didn't. What did he do? He got a chance with Samuel to raise Samuel spiritually. He did an okay job. Oh, third time. He's like, oh, that must be God talking to you. Okay, go, you know, go say, here I am, Lord. You know, he, so he did some good things there, but he didn't repent in his heart. And guys, we've got to be careful too. We, it's not just enough to come to church and to show up at Bible talk and to share your faith occasionally. We've got to really be dealing with our hearts, what's going on on the inside. Um, okay, we're running out of time. A couple of verses. 1 Samuel 3 and verse 3. This is kind of an ominous passage. Uh, it says in verse 2, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. I just love that passage, because it's just like, it had not yet. It's about to, but it had not yet. And I just think, guys, even at that point, what if Samuel, or what if Eli had said, I'm going to change. I got to radically repent. I got to throw my boys out of office. I got to take charge. You know, but but he didn't. He didn't. He just said, "This is my fate. This is my lot." You know, my boys won't change. Oh well, can't do anything about it. And he just he let it go. He had a chance to make a big a big big change, and he didn't do it. Of course, chapter four records Eli's death as the the Philistines come to war. The Israelites lose in the first battle. Then they take the ark out. And it's amazing, the Philistines respond to the ark of God like, oh no, isn't this the God who tore apart these nations? Isn't this the God? I mean, God's family, God's name was still respected, but the Israelites were still defeated. And Eli is not even out there with the ark. He's just at home, sitting in his chair by the side of the road, waiting for news. And guys, we got we can't put ourselves out in the chair, all right? Chair is the new dirty word, right? So just, <laughs> you know, we can't be just sitting in the chair. We ought to be out there uh, going after it. Eli's grandson, uh, well, Eli's boys die, of course, and he dies, and then uh, one of the boys' wives gives birth to a boy uh, on that day uh, out of the stress. She goes in labor. She dies in childbirth. Tragic, tragic story. The boy, the ch- this grandchild is named Ichabod. You wouldn't want to name your kid Ichabod, probably. Ichabod means the glory has departed Israel. Oh, what a final... <laughs> lasting legacy that we don't want to have. Um, and then you just look at Samuel as a contrast. Here's this kid who wasn't raised uh, or wasn't born to a spiritual family, so where he's part of just one of the crowd. But he comes and he has a heart for God. And he wants to know what God wants. And, and, and Samuel does instruct him in, in, in the way of God. It says that he didn't yet know God, and Samuel made that clear to him. And God had a plan for this kid, and this kid grew up to be this amazing prophet that actually says in chapter 7, turn the whole nation of Israel back to God. I think it had a lot to do with Samuel's parents reaching out to him, helping him, wanting him to be, even though they weren't ministry people, wanting him to be in the ministry, be God's man. You know, and, and I just I love the contrast here between Eli 
and, his, and, and Samuel's parents, because you see how powerful that is. Uh, Dave's got just a little bit more, and we'll be done. Sorry, we're running just a little bit later. Dave, I'll... Okay, thanks. Uh, just a quick uh, quick note um, about blended families. Like I said, we, we have a blended family, and, and just a couple of things if you're in that situation. Um, you know, the key really is building relationships. Uh, you know, your relationship with your kids is super huge, especially as a dad. Um, so really, you know, what we did was I didn't rush. Don't I would be, don't rush in to really discipline your your kids. You know, build a relationship and the trust first. Um, and the other thing is, your marriage is, is got to come number one. It, it's true in any kind of a parenting thing, but especially in a blended family. You know, I always told Mary when we first got married, I don't care as long as you and I are united and together, we can handle whatever happens with the kids. But we have got to be on the same page. And I think that's true in any kind of marriage, but especially in a blended family, is you got to make sure you and your wife work things out together, and then you can handle stuff with the kids. The other thing about, uh, I was a single dad for a little bit, and so, you know, I think as men, uh, if you have a, you know, a family, we need to really take the single moms under our wing. Uh, look for, if they have boys, look for, to really involve them with your kids or with your boys as much as possible. And uh, we need to really... Uh, you know, help out with their situation. It's tough to raise uh, kids uh, by yourself, especially uh, for a mom to raise a son. And so, as as men in the in the congregation here in the church, we need to really look out for those single moms and really make it a point to really try to draw them in. Um, just in closing, I want to just uh, you know, it's been you know, we want to be uh, challenging a little bit. Uh, so hopefully, you're not overwhelmed. Uh, so I want to end on a positive note. Um, Two things. Don't be discouraged. One of the things what I've learned is that repentance is huge. If you really, if you blow it as a father, and you're going to, but if your kids really see you apologize, repent, and change, that really has an impact on them. It really does. Uh, so no matter what you've done, you know your kids love you. You can see that you know all over the place. Kids love their dads like it's just. In, born in them. So if you blow it, don't worry. You just need to apologize. You need to really repent and change. And it'll have a really great impact on them. The second thing is, God loves us. He's going to bless us. You know, God knows how hard it is to be a father. He's a father. So he knows what it's like. You know, Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We have everything we need, guys, to be a great parent. We have the Bible. We have everything. I wrote a quick list here. We have God. You can be a great parent. By God's going to bless you. He's going to bless the righteous. We have the Bible. We have the Scripture. We read a few of them here. There's so many more you can study about how to be a great parent. We have great church fellowship. Uh, we have discipling. You know, we've got, hopefully, you have people in your life that are going to help you with your marriage and with your kids. Most of what, a lot of what I've learned as being a parent is because of discipling. It's because of classes and lessons, but it's because I've had, through my Christian life, I've had other couples disciple us and help us with our kids. They would not be where they are today without get that discipling. So you've got to get people in your life to help you with your, uh, help you with your family and with your kids. Brothers, we have wives. Let your wife help you be a better parent. Don't be, hum don't be prideful. Be humble. Talk to your spouse. 
Mary has helped me so many times to be a better father. Uh, don't be afraid to ask them, hey, how can I do it? What is this? You know, what, how did that go? What can I do better? Don't be afraid to really use them. And then we have, you know, we can always pray. God will bless our prayers. Uh, but the big thing is, you know, we're not in this by ourselves. You don't have to be a great father all by yourself. You have a tremendous support system. Again, we used to be in a church of 40 people. We love it being in a larger church. We guys, you guys in a lot of ways are very fortunate to have as many people around you with great families, with great marriages and things like that. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a great situation here in the South Bay. So I want to end positively, you know, no matter how you're doing, you can be an awesome father through God and through all the people we have to help. Amen? Let's uh, close with a short prayer and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for being our father. Thank you, God, for uh, how much you love us and model for us and so many things. I just pray that this, this morning that as men we will really uh, uh, take the seriousness that you've called us to to really help our kids grow. Uh, Father, you will forgive us when we fall short. And just help us really have a great impact on our children. Help us to help one another. Help us to have the, the village mentality that we're all helping each other uh, with our kids. Uh, thank you so much for Jesus. We pray that he